We're continuing this morning in a series called Triggered. It's a series on offense and getting offended. And we started Easter Sunday looking at the offense of the cross and how even the salvation God's offered us is offensive in many ways because it identifies us as sinners and in a position where we need forgiveness. And that's just uh, hard to swallow some days, right? And so, uh, but as we move through this, we, we're looking at how uh, we can and do get offended. And the truth is that um, even if, uh, like we talked about last week, I think even if you lived on an island by yourself, you'd get offended. Because if you don't get offended by somebody else, you're going to offend yourself at some point. And so offense is a reality. It's a part of our lives. And it's interesting as people, um, we have typically one or two responses. And sometimes it, it can flip back and forth. But you probably learned this about, about this in school. I did when I was growing up. That there's two basic impulses that we have as people to a problem, a situation, an intense issue where we're hurt or where, there's, uh, there's, um, where we're in danger or whatever. We're either going to uh, fight or we're going to flight, right? Fight or flight. Remember hearing about that? I don't know. Maybe that was just me in the school I grew up in. But fight or flight. Those are the impulses that we have. And, and so um, the truth is that the world we live in that doesn't believe in God, and uh, sometimes that's uh, different places where maybe uh, we're taught or, or we hear about things. Uh, people identify these impulses, and many have over the years, and said, hey, uh, as human beings, we're just uh, another animal, on the planet, right? Uh, we're, we're similar to the rest of the, of the animal kingdom. We're just a little bit higher up because of our intelligence. And so, uh, I don't know, I, I learned that or was taught that through the years. The truth is, though, the Bible says that we are the image bearers of God. And though we have some similar characteristics to the rest of creation because we're made by the same creator, right? And so there are some similarities, but we're altogether different. And part of the reason we're different so we're made in the image of God. We're the image bearers of God. Part of the reason we're different is because we have the ability to make choices. We don't just react on impulse, right? We do, but God, really, what we see in the scriptures is that God uh, created us and has the expectation of us that we would react differently, not just by impulse, but actually according to his commands and directions to us. And so we, uh, we discover this about God and about how he wants us to live. The, the problem is, part of the difficulty we face is, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the, the, the world we live in today uh, is, is getting more and more divided. Right? Have you noticed that? Just me? No. More and more divided. And, and it doesn't help that everything is, is seen through the lens of politics. Politics is not the greatest thing in the, in the world, right? It wasn't the greatest invention. It's not the bastion of hope for the world. But everything gets seen through the lens of politics. This does not help us because uh, it further divides us. And, so, uh, and, and then what even compounds it more is the fact that our interactions seem to be less and less in person. And they're more and more through these screens that we have. And so the, the natural tendency that I might have if I interacted with one of you and we had a conflict you know, we had a problem, why we would interact with each other and there would be some checks on our interaction because that's what happens when it's person to person. But when it's through a screen, all of a sudden, all those checks go away. And so we just see a lot of rage and vitriol and we treat each other uh, horribly. And part of the reason is the, the social, uh, the nature of our social connections and using social media. Um, and I don't know about you, but um, I've had some intense interactions on social media at different times trying to convince somebody of something and they trying to convince me of something and I'm pretty sure 
well, I know they didn't convince me to move in their direction, so I'm doubtful that I got them to move in my direction, right? Because uh, it's just not how it works. It doesn't work very well. But we do it, and, and, and so our, our country and our culture seems like we're just getting more and more conflict, and we're fighting more. And fighting rarely produces the change we like to see. In fact, fighting really just lands us in trouble, typically. Stan Makita was a professional hockey star years ago, and he used to get in a lot of fights. Now I know it's hockey, and you know the saying that, you know, I went to a fight and a hockey match broke out. But, but, uh, but he got in a lot of fights uh, in his career, and he finally stopped at one point because his eight-year-old daughter asked him a very grown-up question. She said, how can you score goals when you're always in the penalty box, Daddy? Some of us are in a penalty box a lot with other people, right? And so we're not able to have a lot of influence. We're not able to get a lot done with them and in situations because we're constantly fighting and in conflict. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his uh, epistle wrote these words in James chapter 1, 19 through 21. He said this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and and slow to get angry. Listen to this. It's an important principle that we need to hear and take to heart. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil uh, in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that he has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Fight or flight, which are you? Are you a fighter or a flighter? Many Christians, many people, but even many Christians never grow past those impulses. They never mature beyond those responses. And so they don't take the time maybe to learn what Jesus has to say to us about how we should respond and how we should interact with others. And if they do know what the Bible says about them, they don't engage the process of discipleship and growth in order to grow, actually, to a different place and to have a different maturity and a different ability, in a sense, a different discipline, right, to respond differently. Uh, so often, we deal with conflict, like the little boy who was sitting on the park bench, obviously in pain, and a man walked by and said, young man, are you okay? You look like you're in pain and hurting. He said, well, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, well, get off the bumblebee, man. It's, it's stinging you. And he said, well, I'm, no, because right now I'm hurting it more than it's hurting me. <laughs> and so, uh, sadly, we, we do this a lot. We think, okay, I'm hurting, I'm miserable, and you're miserable, and we're fighting in this conflict, but man, I'm just going to double down. I'm going to hurt you more than you're hurting me. And, and we take that approach instead of stepping back a minute and discovering maybe how to overcome our offense and our anger and how to bring peace to a situation instead of more conflict. But this issue is incredibly difficult for us as Christians and across the board, this is hard. Um, a recent survey and, um, done in Discipleship Journal asked readers, Christian readers, what their greatest spiritual challenges were to kind of rank them. You know, as they live the Christian life, what's, your, what's the most difficult stuff to work out and, and to find that you can live out in your life? And the first one, number one, the top of the list was materialism. And that seems realistic. Materialism is a difficult thing in our world. And as a Christian, not to be controlled by things. Secondly, they put pride, uh, made number two on the list. And then self-centeredness. And fourth, laziness. 
And then fifth was anger and bitterness tied with sexual lust. And then envy, gluttony, and lying. And so it's true that anger and bitterness are incredibly difficult. I think that maybe um, this issue's moved up the list a few notches um, based on what I'm seeing and even what I experience. I'm, I'm a part of it too. I live in the world you do. And it's difficult to deal with this. Um, today we want to look at the story in the scriptures of a runner, a flighter. His response, right, to offense was to run. And so if you have your Bible or you want to turn in your phone app to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, turn there. The story of Jonah is a pretty famous one. You probably have heard of it. But the truth is that Jonah was called by God to go to a group of people, the Assyrians, and to, to uh, take a message to them of judgment, that their sin and wickedness had been seen by God and God was going to judge them and destroy them. And, and God said, Jonah, I want you to go preach this message to him and tell him to repent. And uh, Jonah was so filled with anger and hurt and bitterness toward this group of people that he actually ran from what God told him to do. Interesting, the story of Jonah, though, uh, is a little controversial. I've heard guys that, um, I had a friend years ago, became a Christian a little bit later in life, and he had a lot of friends, adult buddies, you know. And when he became a Christian, they said, really? You believe all that stuff in the Bible? You believe that story about Jonah getting swallowed by a fish? You know that couldn't have happened, right? And so, uh, and so the, it's funny that the book of Jonah kind of has this, uh, it's polarizing that way. A lot of people look at it and say, you know, I, I don't know if I believe the Bible. It's full of a bunch of made-up stories. Look at the, the story of Jonah. There's a little girl that was kind of arguing with her teacher in class one day about this. They were talking about whales. And the teacher was explaining to her, he said, uh, listen, little girl, it's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Because even though they're very large mammal, their throats are small. And the little girl said, well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the irritated teacher replied, it's physically impossible, young lady. He could not have been swallowed. A human can't be swallowed by a whale. And so uh, she reiterated this, or the teacher reiterated this fact to the little girl. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And the teacher said, well, what if he didn't go to heaven? And the little girl said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> hey, um, hey, <laughs> I'm not, listen, if you're a teacher, don't get offended. I'm not picking on teachers. I pick on pastors too, so I'm just, okay, listen, but here, here's the truth that, um, that uh, we can end up in these situations. And with Jonah, it's a little controversial. So listen, try to set aside for the minute. Uh, the, the, your, your debate in your mind as to whether this could happen. I'll tell you what my explanation of it is and why I don't have trouble with the, with the story of Jonah and him being swallowed by a fish because God, it says that God sent the fish. And I believe uh, the Bible paints a picture of a God who spoke and the world came to be, right? And, and it's a God who performs miracles and a God who raises the dead and, and he can do anything. So I don't have a problem with him sending a fish to swallow Jonah. I mean, Jonah was his prophet, and if he wanted him to end up in the belly of a fish for three days, no problem. I got no problem with it. But regardless of where you stand with that, let's set aside for the minute that issue and just focus on the lessons to be learned. Because there's a lot here for us to, to mine out when it comes to offense. Because Jonah paints a picture for us, really, of what not to do. It's a sad story. The story of Jonah, his tales filled with lessons to be learned. And one lesson that we learn in reading his story is that unresolved offense will cause you to run from God's will. 
Unresolved offense will cause you to run from God's will. If you're in the book of Jonah, uh, follow along as I read the first few verses here of chapter 1. It says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Amittai, uh, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went to the opposite, or went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. See, Jonah uh, was angered at the Assyrians. He did not want to go to Nineveh, which was uh, their greatest city, and he didn't want to preach this message. He ran from it because uh, he didn't want to see them have the opportunity to repent. He wanted to see the judgment brought on them that he had prophesied was coming. Jonah was a prophet of God, and he had said, uh, he had prophesied how judgment was coming on the Assyrians by God. And Jonah didn't want them to have this chance uh, to turn from it. He wanted to see the day of judgment come. He wanted to see God destroy them for what they had done. Question for you today, who is it that you want to see pay for their wrongs that they've done to you or done in the world? Who is it that you'd like to see judgment brought on and who you really hope they don't experience the forgiveness of God? It's a tough thing to say, but we can end up there. We can get hurt and filled with pain, and, and we can end up looking at people that way. One sign that you might be in that place of hurt and anger is that you won't forgive somebody. You want to stay angry at the offender. You hold on to it. You actually will derail any attempt to see the offense be forgiven if it involves it going unpunished. You don't want for it just to go away. You want to see justice brought. You're slow and unwilling to let go of an offense until you see a person pay for it, even if it means just letting them know that you haven't forgotten, that you remember, okay, and that you're still not happy about what happened. Maybe you're angry about what happened. Even if it's just that, you'll find that maybe this issue of hurt an offense has crept into your heart. Of course, this response is the opposite of what the Scriptures teach us. God actually instructed, even the Old Testament and all through the Scriptures, God instructed a different approach to offense. He, uh, he taught us and, and teaches us to respond differently, that we should actually, instead of wanting to see justice and judgment brought all the time, we should want to see mercy shown to people. We should love to see grace brought to bear in somebody's life. We should, even those that have hurt us, we should really still want to see them let off the hook for their offense and find forgiveness from us and God. That's what we should desire, but we can get hurt and then uh, and see things the other way. In Micah chapter six, verse eight, a famous verse that God gives some instruction to His people through the prophet Micah. God had uh, brought a message of judgment. Um, because of the sin of the people, the, the nation of Israel, and they had actually repented and relented, and they said, what should we do? We recognize we've been in the wrong. Should we offer sacrifices? We want to make it right. And uh, Micah, in, in chapter 6, verse 8, again, a famous verse, he said this, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
He says, when it comes to your interactions with others, then do what's right to them. Do what's just to other people. Treat them the way you should. Treat them the right way. And when they respond by hurting you and doing what's wrong, he says then love mercy. Love mercy. Want to see mercy. Uh, Be quick to show mercy. And then ultimately says walk in that humble place with God, not proud and arrogant and stiff-necked and rebellious, right? Unwilling to listen and obey God's commands, but respond by living out these other two principles. When we keep track of offense like Jonah did, we long to see God bring justice and judgment down on others. The truth is that we become controlled by the behaviors of others. They really are the ones in control of our attitude, uh, of how we go through life, how we look at the world. They get a lot of power in our lives. And God says, uh, I don't want others to have power in your life. I want to have power in your life. I want to have the influence and the say. I'm God. I created you. And if you listen to me, you'll become a better person. And if you get caught up and bound up in, in bitterness and anger and offense, then you won't. You'll be held back. There's a guy named John Hunter years ago that was Amanda that had an arrogant, he was arrogant in demeanor. He possessed a violent and ungovernable temper. He was accustomed to saying this, my life is at the mercy of any scoundrel who chooses to put me in a passion. And these words proved prophetic in his life after a meeting uh, with the board of St. George Hospital in London. He got in a heated argument with the other board members. He got up, left the room, walked into the next room and fell over dead. He really was. <laughs> his life was in the hands of others. We need to check our heart. We need to examine ourselves and say and ask the question, am I so filled with hurt and anger that others, uh, the wrongs that others have done to me that I can't minister to them, that I couldn't reach out with love to them, that I couldn't want to see salvation come to their life and that I couldn't even help them if they were stranded on the side of the road. I, I could help them because, uh, you know, because I, I'm, I'm consumed and filled with love for others, not anger and bitterness and hurt. We've got to check our hearts and we've got to examine where we're at. Jonah was so filled with offense that he ran from what God told him to do. And that rebellion ended up causing problems for others. See, when you resist God's will, your rebellion will harm others. Let's continue reading in Jonah chapter 1 in verse 7. You know, he got on this ship and he headed out into the the ocean running from, or into the sea running from God. And God uh, was not going to allow Jonah to run away from him. He was a prophet. And so God sent a storm. And the boat was thrown and tossed and uh, the sailors were uh, scared for their lives. The, the, the storm was overwhelming. And so in the midst of all this, the cast and crew in Jonah uh, chapter 1 verse 7, the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Well, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. 
I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Jonah's disobedience and rebellion to run away from God brought calamity onto others that were um, innocent bystanders in a sense. They didn't have any role in the story other than Jonah decided to get on the ship with them. But they were brought into this. And the truth is that when we rebel and resist God and his direction to live and walk in forgiveness and to let go of offense and to move on, when we refuse to do that, our resistance to forgiveness will keep conflicts going and that's going to affect people that, sometimes even people that we love. We're going to bring harm into their life. The drama of the fight will be kept alive by people that are being rebellious to God's commands. Running from God and running from his, real, uh, his will um, is not just going to cause harm to you. It, it, it's going to cause harm to others ar- around you as well. I found a, a little um, list of how to turn a disagreement into a feud in eight easy steps. Number one, be sure to develop and maintain a healthy fear of conflict. Letting your own feelings build up so you are in an explosive frame of mind all the time. Step two, if you must state your concerns, be as vague and general as possible. Then the other person cannot do anything practical to change the situation. Step three, assume that you know all the facts and that you are totally right. Speak prophetically for truth and justice. Do most of the talking. Step four, with a touch of defiance, announce your willingness to talk with anyone who wishes to discuss the problem with you. Just don't do anything to facilitate those conversations. Step five, latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows the other person is merely jealous of you. Step six, judge the motivation of the other party on any previous experience that showed failure or unkindness from them. And remember and keep track of all and any angry words that were spoken. Step seven, if the discussion should, alas, become serious, view the issue as a win-lose struggle. Avoid possible solutions and go for total victory at any cost. Unconditional surrender. Don't get too many options on the table. And step eight, pass the buck. If you're about to get cornered into a solution, indicate you are without power to settle. You need your partner, your spouse, your bank, whoever. Just avoid coming to resolution. Listen, uh, it's kind of sad, and yet we can find ourselves in that spot. I have been there. Maybe you haven't. You're better than me, but I've been there. And the truth is that we need some help to get out of that. We need to recognize where we're at. And sometimes that takes, uh, uh, it takes God giving us a spanking sometimes for us to wake up and to recognize what we're doing. The truth is if you choose to stay angry, you will miss completely the good that comes from what God is doing in the world around you. Bitterness will cause you to miss the blessings of God working. Jonah was thrown overboard, and a fish did come and swallow him, and he spent three days and nights in the belly of the fish, and he had a little little bit of an attitude adjustment. Um, He was spit up onto the shore, and uh, God once again said, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach a message uh, of judgment and call the people to repentance. And this time, Jonah said, okay. And he went uh, and reluctantly walked throughout the city. It took him three days to get through it, 120,000 people. And he preached this message. And lo and behold, there was revival. And the whole city turned, including the, the king, the rulers, everybody. They repented of their sin and they, they begged God for mercy. 
and uh, Jonah. And so God relented. And he said, I'm going to show mercy on these people. I won't destroy you. And Jonah's response, like any good preacher, excited to see people respond, right? Turn from their sin. We see Jonah's response in chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say this before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're easier to turn back, or you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city, just hoping it would be destroyed. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And, it, and, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in, its, in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Fascinating. It's easy to be judgmental towards Jonah, reading his response. Well, what kind of person would be upset because God forgave people? <laughs> You might have been before. <laughs> I probably have been before. It's easy to get there, unfortunately, because when we get consumed with anger and hurt and offense, that's where we end up. We end up in a place that we would be appalled at in anyone else. And yet it can be, we can end up there where our hearts are filled with even disdain at the idea that somebody could experience God's forgiveness. No, they need to get punished for what they did. And that's how, that's how Jonah felt. He was upset and angry that God had forgiven them so quickly and so easily. Bitterness is a sour pill. It clouds your entire life and your judgment. You will misjudge people in situations because of your emotion. It's been said that in quarreling, the truth is always lost. You will miss the good things God is doing around you and maybe even in your church uh, this is why uh, you can come to a service that's decent, you know, fantastic worship, decent sermon, and, uh, and everything kind of went good, and you can walk out going, well, so-and-so was there, and they're just trying to get everybody to look at them again. Ah, the music was so loud, it hurt my ears. The preacher was off today. I don't know what's going on in his life. Those jokes were lame. Why was it so hot? Why is it so cold? Look, look, we can all do this. I'm not picking on you. I mean, I can do this. We can end up in this place where we can experience a good thing and be upset about it and be angry about it. Why? How do we get there? 
Well, it's because we allow things to clog up in our spirit and in our soul. And offense is one of them. And we find ourselves angry and upset at everything. Nothing really is good. And we may not even recognize that's where we're at and we're complaining about everything, but, but that's where we end up. We don't even enjoy the work that God's doing. We don't even want to be a part of it. Even if it's amazing, even if there's great things going on, we're upset about it, mad about it even sometimes. This is the power of unresolved offense that turns into bitterness. If we don't do the hard work of forgiving, of overcoming offense and moving beyond it, and it is hard work, by the way, there's nothing easy about it. It takes discipline and effort and accountability. You gotta have somebody in your life that will say to you, uh, you're not sounding right today. Sounds like, come on, we've slipped back into that spot. And, and it, takes, it takes effort and it's hard. But if we don't do that, we can become sour and angry and bitter who see no good in God's church or what God's doing anywhere in the world. We become like those people my grandpa talked about used to say, you'd complain if you were hung with a gold rope. Okay, that's kind of dark, I know. but When a rattlesnake is cornered, Sometimes it becomes so angry it bites itself. And uh, the truth is that this kind of stuff, when we allow it to, uh, to exist within us, it just hurts us. It makes us angry and bitter, and you know that. Bitterness and angry at others is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill them. <laughs> and it doesn't. Truth is that no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. That isn't the response to a grudge. It's not a response to hurt and offense. Life in the spirit is altogether different. The Bible paints a picture of a life we can live, which lifts us out of this mire and this quicksand that pulls us in and destroys us. The Bible paints a picture of life in the spirit lived through the power of the Holy Spirit, where we can exemplify and exhibit the fruit of the spirit, which is like love and joy and patience and peace and kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, right? All these wonderful things, self-control. This is the life that God wants to build in us and put in us. And in the book of Ephesians, uh, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the words of God, he addresses the church in Ephesus according to these things. He says, listen, you were, you were Gentiles, and you used to live like the world around you, but you're not there anymore. You've now shifted into a different way of life. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And, and so he describes in chapter 4 of Ephesians what it looks like to live this way. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eager, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For listen, anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful 
so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God through Christ has forgiven you. Life in the Spirit, lived by the power of the Spirit, connected to the Spirit's presence and His instruction, produces a different way of life. We can let go of offense. We can move on from the pain we've experienced and let it go. And we can find the ability to love and forgive even those who have treated us the most harshly. Not doing that is to walk in step with the enemy. Last week I I said this, uh, which I think is just a truism. It's something to think about. In your life, drama is where the devil hangs out. And he would love to keep you in a state of drama, upset, hurt, angry. He would love to keep you there. (laughs) Because in that place, you have no spiritual power. You're not going to be a witness or testimony to anybody. You're um, You're going to be set on the sidelines. You're going to be benched. And you're not going to be in the game and you're not going to have any effect for the work that God's trying to do in the world. We've got to find a way. We've got to find a way to grow past this place of being hung up on a fence, being controlled and consumed by it. We've got to find that place of victory where God wants to take us through the power of his spirit to release us from the baggage and the weight we're carrying so that we can be the people in the world who can help someone else move past their hurt, right? We can't help them if we haven't gone there. You can't lead anybody in a place you haven't gone. And so the truth is the world needs us right now. Desperately, our culture needs us to be be the people that can show the way uh, to peace and to peace with God and to peace with each other. And so um, we've got to learn this. It doesn't mean peace at all costs. It doesn't mean peace is the only thing that we ever do. No, but hear what I'm saying. We've got to know how to make peace. <laughs> we've got to at least know how. Um, and, and so we've got to find a way to be set free. And my prayer for you is that you would repent. Because I think that's where it starts. Repent of what you've held on to. And that you would surrender to God. And say, listen, God, I'll, I'm going to do this your way. You know. And I know you don't want to. Because <laughs> I don't want to either sometimes. I know. But we've got to. The God who saves us calls us to it. And so we've got to move in that direction and say, okay, God, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to listen to you. Please help me find my way out of this spot that I'm in. Help me find that way to a path of peace. God, thanks for your goodness to us and for your call on our lives and that you don't call us to a passive place um, where we sit comfortably with uh, the things that we hold on to the offense and anger and hurt. But God, you really call us to step up and to move forward into a place of healing that takes work and effort and it's hard. But Father, you want to help us. You want to carry us to that place. You want to move us to that place. And Father, you know, and you you tell us this, what it requires, first of all, is that we surrender to you. We stop living according to the things that we've decided and we've believed. We've gotten from the culture around us. But, Father, that we just uh, focus in on you and your truth and your instructions to us. 
And so I pray that you'd help us to do that. God, would you set us free from this so that we can help the people around us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.